Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Dr. Bradford Cooper, and I'll be your host. And today we're going to talk about the meaning of life. Now, when I say we're going to talk about the meaning of life, we're actually going to have a guest whose entire career is focused on studying the meaning of life. Dr. Michael Steger is a, the founder and director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose and professor of psychology at Colorado State University. He received his BA in psychology from McAllister College, his MS in counseling from the University of Oregon, and his PhD in counseling psychology and personality psychology from the University of Minnesota in 2005. I pulled up his TEDx talk, which is titled, What Makes Life Meaningful? It's been viewed by almost 300,000 people, and he, he does a great job, so you may want to check that out. Speaking of checking out, if you want to join us for the Fast Track certification coming up, we've got one just around the corner. It's probably full at this point, but you can check it out at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Our next one is April 4th and 5th, and then we'll have a couple more coming up later in the year. But again, I've said this before, if you're wanting to pursue the National Board Certification, please don't wait. The rules are changing. It's going to get tougher. It's going to be more involved and it's going to be more expensive if you wait too long. So if that's on your radar, if it's something you've been thinking about, check that out. Happy to help you. Any questions you've got, results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Now, let's jump in. Dr. Michael Steger talking about meaning and purpose in life. Dr. Steger, it's a privilege to have you join us. Thanks for jumping on today. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our, our listeners, they know your background from the introduction, but seriously, dude, founder and director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose, that, that has got to be one of the coolest titles ever. Can you give us the 10,000-foot the view of how you ended up here in this role? Oh, that's a really good question. I think, thanks for uh, supporting the idea of having a Center for Meaning and Purpose uh, it, it is a it's a long road to get some of this stuff to gain traction. I think it's easier now than than it used to be as people are, are taking you know they're taking their own life journey more seriously and mm -hmm. as a lot of people have joined in with that effort the the quality of research is, has come up the quality of thinking around you know how do we want to live the lives that that really we want to we want to invest our energy you know, and, and what we are our, our most <laughs> our most valuable commodity, our time mm -hmm. into. I think as that stuff's all come around, it's been easier for me to make the argument that a place like a university should let me, uh, you know, put the center on the map. It's I don't have I don't have a lot of easily transferable life experience. I think sometimes because I've never exact I've never had a career plan. I would I would say. Mm. Uh, I've been, I've had a life plan, or at least a lot of life aspirations and and guiding principles. But you know, the career stuff, the work, the way that it comes about and manifests in my work has always been secondary to just what I want to be doing with my life. So the center ended up being not so much something that I'd always wanted to do, but that seemed like a good next step to I don't know take take advantage of of the fact that people are taking meaning and purpose seriously. So why don't we try to get a little bit more traction going and then <laughs> slowly we can start getting more resources out to people who are interested in the topic. So you said something interesting there. You said, I've, I've always had a life plan. I haven't really had a career plan. That's an interesting comment. When a couple of weeks ago, we did a, 
a episode on creating a theme for your coming year. So basically a hmm. 2020 vision and, and what that looks like and all the process of, of working your way through, reflecting on the past year and where you want to be and all those kinds of things. And I'm curious, how do you see the different? It, it almost seems like the life plan, I, I like what you said, like you, the life plan drives the career plan, right? Is that kind hmm. of what you're getting at? Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds maybe even a little bit more noble than, than what I actually have done. Uh, I, it just, um, I, I guess I would say that for, for better or for worse, I'm really someone who needs to figure out a lot of ways to be intrinsically motivated to do, to do stuff, whatever, whatever it is. So I think in a, in a career world, when I, when I thought about me working effectively in the world, uh, it never seemed that realistic <laughs> to, to me, mm. just because I, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to feel like um, I can really just I can really just drive at a at a target if if I haven't been able to like internalize that target. And, and a lot of times, you know, the, the the sort of the structures of of the real world, the actual world, seem to me to be not that interesting a lot of times. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, like really what was, what I think was pushing it was I just wanted to, I just knew I wanted my life to be about sort of first and foremost, trying to figure out what we're doing here. How do we, how do we live this, this weird, random uh, life that, that we've been given? Um, whether, and whatever traditions I absorbed uh, growing up and whatever ones I read about and whatever wisdom I ran across, I was constantly trying to figure out if that made sense to me and mm -hmm. whether I saw that being acted out in the lives of, of other people, whether that reflected on the mistakes I made. And I just kind of always lost in that, in a sense, lost in that world. I think that paired with just it. So that, I guess that's almost like a value that I just wanted to really be active in, in thinking through what my journey of of life for however long it lasts is, is, is going to be like, and that the other real value that I really just have always sort of had, I think probably the way I was raised and, and the, and the you know, values my parents gave me was just, if you can't try to be helpful and if you can't be helpful, at least don't be hurtful. So that's kind of helped me direct my, my otherwise pretty self self-absorbed, just it lost in my own thoughts, uh, tendencies out into the real world. And out into trying to figure out, well, how does this stuff, is, is anything that I'm learning useful in any way? And if not, then how can I think about ways to make it useful or, or do things that are useful? So I, I think that's been the real tension in my life is trying to figure out, um, you know, what's really interesting, what seems important to me, and then how and in what ways might that be important to the world around me? And, and, what, and what can I hear from what can I hear from people around me that, that they need and in what ways can I try to pitch in? So that, that's kind of been what, and it's just led me to a lot of different places. And right now I'm a professor and that's great, <laughs> but you know, that's, so in that sense, in that sense, I don't know that I've, I've really been so focused on, I have to find work that, that fits me more or less, more than uh, here's who I am. Here's how I live. Here's how I try to improve every day. And that will close some opportunities and open others. And, and then the best of those that, that seem to help me make my difference in the way that I think I can are the ones I've, I've gone for. See, I think that resonates a lot with a, a number of people in the audience because we've got people that are either current 
or pondering becoming health and wellness coaches or getting involved in wellness in some way, that it's always been a part of who they are and, and helping the people around them and, and all that. And I, I'm intrigued by what you're saying because I kind of hear the same thing from you. You're saying, mm. I didn't set out to do this. I was listening. I was looking at what was available and I've continued to move forward pursuing those values and opportunities to put those values in action and this is what's happened, at least at this point. Is that, am I hearing you right? Yeah, I think you really nailed it. You know, I, I, if I was to draw uh, my, my schedule out of what I actually spend my time doing over a, a typical month, I would say about 85% of it, I didn't even know was part of the professor job. And I never, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a I lot of it. I do. Yeah, some of that is, you know, the this, this sort of stuff that, you might expect a, a kind of squirrely guy like me wouldn't like, like meetings and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of it is stuff that is incredibly uh, enriching and rewarding for me that, that keeps me growing, keeps me challenged, you know, opportunities to, to give talks and collaborate with people from around the world and, you know, just be forced to think about how to contextualize this sort of odd area of knowledge that I've, I've dedicated myself to and right. into a way that makes a difference in the world. And so there's no way I could have planned for this. If I, you know, the stuff that I love the most, I don't know how I would have found a way to actually do that without just kind of, you know, going and, and, and trying to have those two balances. I mean, I really, I, I wouldn't, I think it's important for other people to consider where this is in, in their own lives. I don't know what the balance is for each of us. We're all, we're all sort of in a you know, suspended between you know, kind of what we owe the world and our obligations, responsibilities, and and then the sort of uh, impulses towards towards growth and and you know self realization that are w- within ourselves. And so, where we are at different times in our lives, and for different people, is is varies. And it, there's no one formula for anybody. But I think that being attentive to that has really been what, my, in that sense, my career is. My career is just trying to figure out. What do I sort of need to be doing with with whatever level of of talents and strengths I have, and then how does that actually serve some need that exists in the world? So I hear a lot of reflection in there. Do you? And and I think I know the answer to this. But I'm just going to throw it out anyway, <laughs> just for grins. But do you do you set time aside on a monthly or quarterly or twice a year basis to to sit down with your journal to reflect to go back through and say, okay optimally, I, I am making a difference with this and this, but is it really? Or am I spinning my wheels? Do I need to change course here? Am I, you know, going along this sea and the, the winds changed and I didn't change with it? And like, do you consciously go through that? Or is it more, you just kind of take a day at a time and you see what shows up? It's a really interesting question. Cause I don't, th- I think it's a little bit of, of, of that whole spectrum. You, you, you kind of laid out, Brad, the, the nature of what I do um, has a lot of varying timelines. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> you know, moving parts. If, yeah, but but also I think it's really interesting. So, so for instance, as a professor, I've I've now gotten the second of my lifetime's promotions. I'll never get a promotion again. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like in that sense, like pure ambition. It's a great career for me because I'm not particularly ambitious. So, uh, you know, I don't really have, have any extrinsic titles to strive for. I won't ever get any more responsibility just unless I want to change jobs. So so that's like a seven-year horizon though. Each of those promotions occur over a period of seven years. So that kind of like seven-year horizon was there. Grad school took forever. 
Sure. To get a paper published, oh, you, know, I know. You, you start thinking about the research and that's another three to five year timeline in most right. cases. Right. So I've got these big timelines and you know multiple projects on those timelines of the three to seven year sort of things. Uh, and then you've got things that just blow up in your face immediately. You know, we, we had a snowstorm if I, recently out here in Colorado, we got like, I don't know, someone said 14 or 15 inches and, and it shut the university down for the first time in, in a really long time. It happened over a fall break, but if that happens during the semester, you get a lot of students who suddenly can't show up for the test, uh, you know, who maybe even need to go home and take care of family who've, who've had something happen to them during the, the blizzard. And then, so that's just a pops up immediately. So I think I'm kind of bouncing around between there. So I use the day in day, day in day out data on kind of like my mental state, the same way I, I, I do in my ever frustrating attempts to get in good running shape, which is hmm. I think a 19 year project now or something <laughs> absurd like that. I'm not giving up, but man, am I getting a little bit less hopeful? But you know, so like my mental status will go will when I feel frazzled, when I feel afraid, and I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to how I you know, respond to the kids, you know, what I think when emails come in, <laughs> a weird but good indicator for me is how angry I get at, at the dumb games I, I play on the phone when I'm bored. You know, if I get really angry, I know that I've got to really take, take a step back and figure out what's going on. And that, okay. fe- yeah, but that feeds into the long-term stuff because right. I might, you know, a friend might ask me to contribute to, to her book or, you know, prepare a, a course to give in 18 months or, you know, sometimes even two and a half years. And I'll say yes at the time. And then when that deadline comes seemingly out of the blue, two years later, I'm like, oh, why did I do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? So then yes, I, have I, to do. Fi- I have to figure out how to use my daily uh, levels of enthusiasm, vigor, and, or on the other hand, stress and exhaustion to figure out what in two years do I want to <laughs> be doing with my life? So I think that's the kind of balance. And it, I think just naturally the life cycle of, of the kinds of projects that I end up um, in, engaging and helps me do that. But I will say this, um, probably the biggest influence uh, initially, I think there's a lot, I've got a lot of, um, I've got a lot of reinforcement in my, in my life now around trying to make a difference. I think because I've intentionally tried to, uh, you know, drift towards people who want to do that as well and, and, and sort of make commitments to that. This is what it's all about. So, so I get a lot of that, like, uh, calling me on whether I'm actually doing any good from my professional uh, colleagues now and, and who are friends as well. But initially, I would say that I was really, I went from being a therapist to going back to grad school and getting so into the data, I forgot that there are actually people providing the data. You know, it's just really numbers, structural equation models, all of it. I was just like so into that abstract world. Um, but the, but the, my, my partner, she's a, you know, we've been like married, 20 years now, but we were, you know, we were kind of dating at these important times and she was always more serious about getting, getting her life going than I was. And, you know, she's a speech therapist and, and I, and I tell this, I tell this story, it's, it's apocryphal. So it didn't never happen exactly like this, but I feel like it happened in parts like this almost, almost every week for years. You know, I'd come home. I'm so, I'm so excited about being a, you know, being a grad student, learning new statistical methods and, you know, trying to get the, the analyses to work for a paper I'm planning and it's all brand new. It's all so exciting. I'm just sitting, you know, I'm just sitting in my office. Uh, when I wasn't home with the kids, I was at the office 
you know, 16 hours just plugging away. So excited. I'd come home and, you know, she'd say, Hey honey, how was your day? And I'd be like, Oh, it's amazing. You can't even believe what kind of day I had. I, you know, I, I got the, the covariance matrix debugged, the, the structural equation model looked great. The residuals weren't overly correlated. The model was model wasn't undersaturated. The finances were perfect. It's, it's amazing. No day like this ever, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> and I'll like eventually I remember. Oh yeah, she exists, and it's not just stats. And I say, well, how was your day? She's like, uh, you know, you know, Timmy, who I've been working with for three years. Uh, we finally got his his tongue to land in the right part of his palate, and and uh, so he can now people kids at school can understand him. He made his first friend. Wow. I'm like, oh my god. Okay, what am I really doing <laughs> after all? So she's been such a huge influence on. On uh, you know making 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 a difference seem possible, you know what I mean, and on a daily basis. So I think that's really a big reality check for me as well. Okay, good, really good. All right, so your TEDx talk, great talk for those of you those in the audience <laughs> who haven't heard it, loved it. You, we, we talked a little bit about some of the funny parts in there, but you talk nice. about the association between meaning and health, or specifically mm. longevity. Can you? Talk us through a little bit more about that connection between feeling like you do have meaning and longevity or overall health. Yeah, yeah. You know, at first I'll preface this with saying that if you were to go, if you were to go back in time from when to when those events were occurring in my in my TEDx talk, and I, I kind of open with with some of the the story about how my partner and I got together, uh, influenced heavily by John Cusack movies, problematically on my part. Uh, <laughs> But meaning in life was seen as like, like really a weirdo thing to do. I got, I got three types of advice when I, wa- when I decided I wanted to start studying this in 2000 when I went to uh, pursue my PhD at Minnesota. Uh, number one was it's unscientific. You can't study this. Number two was, oh, I didn't know you were so religious. And number three was, well, it's obvious. <laughs> we don't have to study it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, in there was... Crazy. There was nothing about the, the scientific process, nothing about the accumulation of knowledge, nothing about a contribution to a broader perspective on being a healthy and, and flourishing person, uh, full circle, right? So to, to be where we are now as a field, and, and so many brilliant people have done just incredible work in this space, and I've been really lucky to uh, you know, throw my own work out there. To be at a point where I, I can say with confidence as, as being someone who, you know, I'm not wedded to the idea. I don't want to be like the meaning guy or a meaning guy. If meaning in life and purpose in life doesn't do what, what, I, what I hope it does for helping people really, really capture the inspiration to pursue the life that will feel worth living to them, then I'll find something else that does that. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not a booster. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who needs to, to root for a team or root for a variable. So, so when I say this, I'm, I'm saying this, I, I believe that in all honesty, that when I read through the literature on this whole explosion of happiness and well-being and positive psychology, I really only think that within the purely psychological realm, there's only a couple other variables right now that have anywhere near the strength of, of research data uh, showing what a, what a cornerstone of flourishing uh, meaning in life is. Like maybe we've got positive, I'm pretty sure we've got positive emotions at this point and probably have positive uh, interpersonal relationships with people. Like even mindfulness, for example, is is lagging behind in terms of the hardcore longevity data that we have for, for meaning in life. So just to put that out there, that if you are thinking about 
living a longer, healthier, happier, more beneficial life, it's really hard to find anything that's going to connect those dots for you like this, this exploding world of meaning and purpose research. So I really encourage people to dip their toes. It, sounds, it, it can sound uh, intimidating to some, but it's really actually pretty simple when you break it down. So if we take a look just the longevity data, um, a year and a half ago, they produced the first meta-analysis of meaning and, and, and death which uh, they found 12 studies that had, that had good methods. There's been more since. So we're over a dozen studies now uh, with hardcore data points showing that if you measure meaning and purpose in life, and this is with different measures, so you don't have to use a specific one, um, that, and you follow people over time, controlling for a whole range of different uh, other influences on how long we live, such as you know, neurotic personality traits even positive emotions and relationships, uh, medical, uh, chronic medical conditions, level of physical disability, income, depression. I mean, the, the list is incredible. You still see across these studies and at least a 15% reduction in year-over-year in year risk um, among older adults in particular of, of dying. So, so what that means is as as we notice that people have a strong sense of meaning. We follow them over time compared to people who are lacking meaning or whose lives feel meaningless or, or devoid of purpose. The people with meaning are living longer, even, even if in both cases they're depressed, even if in both cases uh, they, they have low income and can't you know, invest as heavily in, in nutritious food or, or exercise, all these sorts of things. It's, it's it's sort of fascinating, and I really hope we have time to, to dig into why that might be. Because if you think about it, meaning isn't health itself. Like you can imagine that something like positive emotions is directly connected to health because it's a, a, a purely biological experience and it's corrective to negative emotions, which we know uh, also is a biological experience. But meaning sort of sits on top of that. So the so trying to to understand why, uh, you know, in some cases, the fifty seven percent. Uh, lowered hazard of dying over a five-year period of time. And the, the research out there suggests that on average, large differences, you know, one standard deviation above versus one standard deviation below means on meaning and purpose in life translates to something like a seven-year longevity benefit. Hmm. So it's really powerful stuff right now. So it, it seems like that comes back, like we were talking about the the personal theme or vision. It, it that's wrapped into the why. Why am I getting up in the morning? It seems like that's what you're talking about is when you're clear, when you have that crystal clear vision about where am I going? What, what is my reason for getting out of bed today? That seems like, yeah, of course, that would drive that in the right direction. Are, are you getting pushback on that? Or are you saying, no, 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 Brad, I'm just saying the research is saying, yes, we're not just pondering that idea. It is dialed in and it's been shown over and over across the board. Mm, yeah, so the, it's the it's exactly that that part that you're talking about that we um, I think right now we can guess at, but we don't have super strong data for. So I'm I'm always pretty cautious about about these claims. We can definitely show and make strong claims to say that meaning in, in life is is related in a in some fashion, systematically, consistently, and with really tangible results to how long we live and actually how healthy our bodies are. Mm-hmm. Um, what is far less clear is why that might be the case. And there's really a lot of different strands. And I'll, you, you mentioned one of them, which is sort of the, the, like a, 
like a psychological directedness combined with, you know, like a kind of like an absence of the purposelessness. You know, when we, if we get up and we have a reason to live that, that does, that does infuse, oh, yeah, infuse our daily life with, with, with so much psychological richness. So in that sense, it, it sort of populates our life with, you know, positivity, eagerness, optimism, and, and a lot of just the psychological mindsets that, that prime us to take advantage of good opportunities and help buoy us through rough times. The two most researched, or I think probably, well, let's start with the first one. The first most common explanation for the reason why any psychological variable has a health impact is, is in the stress management model. So, right. So stress, we know, shortens our lives and people who are kind of miserable are more prone to stress, you know, but also stress is unevenly distributed across our population. You know, more stress is placed on women and people of color uh, than it is on other folks in society. But even within all of those different populations, even among folks who are dealing with chronic medical conditions or, or acute medical crises like a cancer diagnosis, what you can show is that folks who have a sense of meaning in life, their stress reactivity is lower and their perceived level of, of carrying stress, what some researchers call allostatic load, is lower as well. That shows up in terms of you know, heart rate reactants, blood pressure, you know, and, and a lot of these other, these other sorts of physical indicators that people are stressed out as well as what they report to folks. So that's one real important uh, model that you know, if you go all the way back to the beginning of psychology's interest in meaning, it was with Viktor Frankl, who was really mm-hmm. trying to explore Nietzsche's idea that, you know, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. If I have a why for my life, I can get through any sort of circumstance. And of course, Frankl had to live that in a, in a horrific in the way in the concentration possible. camps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that idea that if you have something out there that you're pushing for, if life is, is meaningful to you, you can get through this stuff and you don't sweat the small stuff as much, that does seem to have some research backing for sure. And of course, we know that there's a lot of research linking stress to poor health. Okay, so let's, let's cut to the chase. And you've touched on some of these, but what makes life meaningful? Is it completely unique to the individual? Or are there some broader concepts that are coming out of the research? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, one of the in- interesting pieces of, of being a human being is, is how how when it fits us, we, we imagine we're extremely unique and the rest of the time we think we're, everybody else is exactly like us. So it's kind of, it's, right? Like we think about how we should read politics or which sports team should win. We assume everyone will, a reasonable person will come to the exact same conclusion that we happen to come to. Uh, but when, you know, someone else is telling us to, to do something, we're like, yeah, that would work for you, but it wouldn't work for me. And actually meaning in life research is pretty similar to that. There are broad strokes of, of, common findings from around the world at this point, I would say maybe 50 or 60 nations now have, have contributed data into um, what it looks like, what, a, what it looks like to be a person who says my life is meaningful, because that's really what we're, we're talking about. We're talking about people volunteering and research using questionnaires or surveys or interviews that, yeah, my life seems meaningful to me. We don't have a test to prove whether they're right. You know what I mean? Like we don't have like, oh, actually, Steger, uh, your life isn't meaningful. You're wrong about that. (laughs) 
We don't really have a test for that. I think we'll wait for philosophy to catch up with the science and tell us how to exactly determine whether someone's life is meaningful. Uh, but if you feel like it is, that seems to be just as important as being able to demonstrate that sure. it is. It seems to be that we can answer this in two, question, two ways. One is, what are people kind of thinking about when we ask them, is their life meaningful? So what are the dimensions of meaning that um, if we can contribute to th those dimensions, we should create this sense that life is meaningful? So the answer in, in that area is one, being able to make sense of life. Right? So, that, so meaning captures this, this sense of coherence or comprehension of what's going on around us. That includes who I am and issues of identity. It includes our kind of latent uh, assumptions about how the world works. You know, a lot of us have beliefs that are really buried deep inside of us about the world. Like, um, you know, good things happen to good people. Only bad people would be murdered, for instance. Uh, you know, also buried within us are our deep beliefs about ourselves. Some of us really have to work to overcome the idea that we're, uh, we're not worthwhile or that we'll never be successful or that we don't have anything to offer the world. So that's in this sort of cognitive basin of, of this huge schema, this huge mental map that we're constantly updating uh, about the world, how it works, who we are, how we get things done. We update that, and we actually live according to that, it seems like. The second piece about having a meaningful life is about purpose. And this is really about having a, a very self-relevant, highly valued, um, consistent with our values, consistent with who we really are at the essence, set of really aspirations for what we want to accomplish in our lifetimes. I think of these, uh, the phrase I, I often use is that they're like an anchor. These purposes are an anchor we throw into the future. And it's a destination we want to get to. The way we get there, who knows, right? It's like any other map. You can, you can pick a hundred different ways to get to, uh, get to New York City, right? So, there, it, but it's going to keep us wanting to push towards those outcomes. That'll help organize our behavior. So if you're thinking about, you know, coaching folks, if you can connect uh, like a, a fitness goal or wellness goal to a sense of purpose, then people keep trying to find paths to get there even when they hit obstacles. And so purpose is a big, important part. Purpose is, is complicated in and of itself, but I'll just, I'll just say, I'll just try to dismiss two of the most common misconceptions. One, you don't have to be Gandhi or Nelson Mandela to have a life purpose. <laughs> you, you can have a lot of life purposes that fit for you. Like for me, I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. And that leads to the second one. You can have multiple purposes and sometimes they pull you in different directions. Hmm. And then finally, the third piece is, is we talk about a sense of significance. And this is kind of like a gut feeling thing. So if, you've, if you're talking with someone and you ask them, you know, is your life meaningful? Or like you feel like there's like a lot of positive purpose and meaning in your life? And they say, yeah. And you say, well, okay, tell me more about that. They're like, oh, you know, I never thought about it. <laughs> right? I, that's like this sort of gut sense, like life is worth living. My life has inherent value. I matter in some way. There's a reason to be. So those three things are, are kind of, we, we start to see these around, around the world when we ask people, um, when we prompt them to tell us whether life has meaning or purpose. Really purpose then ends up being a part of meaning along with coherence or comprehension and significance or mattering. Then the other piece is like that you can answer this question by, you know, if I was to ask you, Brad, um, what are the parts of life that, that make it feel meaningful to you? Or what in life is meaningful to you? Uh, you? You'd sort of start listing probably some pretty recognizable categories or life domains. And we call these sources of meaning. Sources of meaning are really awesome for 
folks who want to um, generate or uh, get into applications around meaning because it create it takes this really abstract and kind of fuzzy notion of the meaning of my life uh, and, and turns it really tangible and even visible at times. So the most common answer that people give when you ask them, where does meaning come from in your life or what makes your life meaningful? There's almost always people in some, in some sense, whether it's family, whether it's uh, romantic partners, friends, uh, community, neighbors, whatever it is, it's, it's usually people. So that's a, that's a really great place to start getting texture and personalization from folks about what meaning actually feels and looks like in their lives. And there's a whole list that goes on after that. There's, depending on the study, you can get somewhere between seven and 28 different sources of meaning. Hmm. But that data is out there too. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of what's known about the, the typical ballpark in which people play. But the way that people play the game is going to be pretty individualistic, not only for, from person to person, but for a person at different stages and times in life. I don't want to take us off on too much of a rabbit trail here, but you mentioned mm-hmm. sometimes purposes pull you in different directions. Two purposes that are very strong for you in your life. Any brief tips you could provide? Because I think we've all experienced that. You, you talked about your experiencing to a point right now. Any tips for people that could kind of get the ball rolling if they are in a stage right now where they feel like, yeah, I've got these two things and they're, they're, both, they're both important and I, 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 I don't know where to go from here. Definitely. I mean, I feel that way a lot. I, I would say the first step is to is to is to take some take some really honest stock in whether the things you're doing and the things that you're spending your time on, and the things that are really occupying your mental space. To what degree are those actually related to life purpose? The best circumstance we can hope for is that uh, we find ourselves with lots of things we're trying to do, lots of things that are <laughs> stressing us out, and feel important because they are part of our life purposes. And then we can get to the, the question of how do we balance competing life purposes? A much worse scenario, but actually pretty common, I think, is that a lot of the stuff that occupies our mental space and feels, feels like it's, it's you know, forcing its shape upon our lives is actually not that relevant to how we actually want to have our lives turn out in the end and what we actually want to be living for. So I think this, the first step is to, is to try to be as honest with yourself as possible. Uh, the second step is to realize, uh, I shouldn't say realize, that sounds really condescending. I, what, I, what I would say is that my personal take on it and what's worked for me is for me to come to realization that um, it's, really, it's really a process. It's not a, it's not a checklist. It's not a, it's not a status. I, I guess I would say I'd, my life is not meaningful, but I'm trying to live a meaningful life, if that makes sense, that difference. Other people might come at this very differently. So, you know, we don't have a ton of information on whether it's better to live your life thinking that meaning it's a process, but it certainly seems to fit the data that I've seen in the, in the encounters I've had with people. So your life is going to have moments where different purposes will loom more important, less important. They're kind of wax and wane, and, and sometimes they'll both be incredibly important. And it's a process of moving towards uh, the realization of that purpose. In fact, I oftentimes will ask people to consider adopting or framing their purposes in ways that maybe can't even be achieved within their lifetimes. Like the idea of being a good parent, like when am I done with that? When do I check that off? Right. So it's a process 
And, you know, that means then when things get, would get terrible when my, when my kids, the worst thing for me is when my kids don't think I'm funny, you know, so uh, <laughs> when they don't think I'm funny, that doesn't mean I'm a bad parent. It's all part of the process just to choose a light example. But certainly people out there have confronted really, really difficult times trying to be a good parent or trying to be a good uh, partner and, and all these other things. So realizing that the answer doesn't have to be correct uh, forever, that the, the blend doesn't have to be right uh, forever either. And that if you do find yourself with, in, in a really good circumstance where you're putting yourself on your path to investing time, energy, attention, your talents towards something that feels like a life purpose, and then there's another one too, then, then you know, really it's, it's going to come down to the idea of, of, of that long game. Any, anything important in your life is going to require nurturing pretty periodically. So, so that I'll just give a perfect example for me. So, uh, you know, the two big ones that, that often conflict are uh, me trying to be a good dad and, and, and family you know, member with, with my wife and uh, me trying to so there's some weird blend, right? Like this, 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 my professional identity of being someone sure. out there trying to talk about purpose is both really personally rewarding for me and feels like my purpose is to talk about purpose, which is really strange. But, uh, you know, but I, so one of the big demands for me then is I, is that my travel schedule sometimes just explodes out of control. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to bring my family on every trip. I, sure. you know, I can't, I can't do that 10, 20 times a year. So, you know, for me, like trying to figure out when it, when it suddenly has, when I'm just out of the house too often or for too, too many stretches, I have to cut back. It doesn't matter what opportunities are going to come up next. I have to just not do that anymore. Or I have to find a way to really uh, <laughs> make it work within other things that are going on. So because I do sense right away, and I'll, this, this is a, maybe a little bit overly personal, but I came back one time after yet another trip, came in the door. You know, kids are kind of semi-watching TV, semi-on their phones. Uh, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm home. And they're like, hey, Dad. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? Didn't you guys miss me? Like, oh, we're used to it. I was just like, oh, my God. Did I really wow. make a life where that happens? So, right. you know, be really open with those. I really just think authenticity and, and being authentic in your responses and your responsibilities is really going to help you navigate uh where to where to put a little bit of extra effort or maybe sometimes where to even kind of mothball for for a little bit of time one of the pressing purposes in your life you, you really don't want to have it strangled off this is so good uh, it, it builds so nicely on what we what we went through with this annual theme concept and reviewing we mm -hmm. call it the f5 so it's the key areas of life and, and as you address those phases of life that you mentioned you know it's different when your kids are young versus when you're empty nesters it's different when you're in school versus you're in a profession, et cetera. So there, there are those different phases, but in the midst of whatever that biggest draw is, you don't want to explode. You don't want to blow up yeah. something like, like you were just saying, you, you, you want to develop your professional pursuits. You want this information to get out there to people where it can make a difference, but you want to be a great dad. And it's, it's realizing I'm in a phase of life now with my kids. I'm talking about you yeah. in a phase of life now with your kids being young that that's important. And so sometimes you just simply put the brakes on it. So I, I think it's, it's really valuable for you to, to lay that out for us. Th thanks for specifying that. Let's talk about the person who feels their life 
doesn't have much meaning and purpose. Or, or maybe somebody that's listening is, is a, a wellness coach that's working with someone that feels that way, or they have a friend that, that feels that way. Any beneficial starting points, just kind of getting the ball rolling on which they could build or help somebody else build a little bit? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, this is probably the most common question I get asked. So you'd, you'd think I'd have a good answer by now. We'll, we'll find <laughs> out, right? But Here we go. Uh, yeah, so the first thing I want to say, this gets, this gets linguistically aggravating. The word, the word meaning makes studying meaning a, a pain in the ass because everything means this or those meanings of the word meaning and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. It gets, it gets confusing. So one of the things, one of the big problems in our field is the idea that um, every life has meaning. But when we say a meaningful life, we usually mean a positively meaningful life. So, so folks who feel like their lives are meaningless, uh, they're not like absent of meaning. What probably is going on is that their lives have sort of just been, you know, swarmed or, you know, consumed by negative meanings. You know, the, the, the idea that there's nothing for me out there in life is actually not the absence of meaning. It's a, it's a really it's a really toxic meaning to have. So part of that then is, is, is this goes to the notion, this really goes to that cognitive side, that coherence or comprehension side. We never turn off the meaning-making engine in our mind. It is always working. Every one of your listeners, even if they're bored out of their minds listening to me talk, is still making meaning from what's going on. Everything that happens, we're, we're, we're interpreting. If we're, if we're picking it up at all, we're, we're processing that information. And in a sense, once it gets stuck into this sort of, I call it this schema or this giant mental map that we have, once it gets in there, then it takes on a life of its own. So folks who feel like life is meaningful almost always are not completely apathetic about life. They're not some sort of neutral suspension where there is nothing they actually feel probably uh, they have negative meanings that make life seem unappetizing, that, that make life seem pointless. So that's, I think, can actually be a pretty powerful insight for folks trying to figure out, uh, what do I do with someone who feels like life is meaningless? Because that seems like a big, you can't convince someone that life is meaningful um, just by arguing with them. Sure. So really starting with like, well, tell me more, like, what does life look like to you? Like when you think about like, when you think, about meaning what what pops into your mind and why does that seem like that's not a thing <laughs> do you know what i mean because i think you'll get at some of those that negative content the beliefs that are holding people back that sometimes it takes you know a lot of work just to uncover that you've you've drilled that so down deep into yourself over past experience and you know really practice almost of of cutting yourself off from opportunities but so that's one possibility that you could you could take up if you really want to if you really want to give someone a little bit of a shift of perspective and, and, and hang with them for a little bit. But another thing just is just a sidestep altogether, the idea that life has to be meaningful or super meaningful or incredibly meaningful, or you have to have a certain level of meaning in order to, you know, like to be good enough, right? It's, it's for sure not a competition. Um, and one of the things I, I love about meaning is that so far the data back up what I think is a gut instinct for a lot of us and that meaning, in, in essence, draws us outside of our own skins. And like so much about the world has us obsessing over how we feel inside our skins right now. Like, how does this affect me? What do I think about this? Do I like what's going on right now? And meaning is way bigger than that. Like, meaning draws us out of the moment to think about our life overall. Meaning draws us out of our own, uh, you know, 
natural tendencies towards selfishness by getting us to think about the big picture and other folks and how we contribute. So one of, if you just go with the flow on that, one of the really great ideas about getting people to think about meaning is to have them stop think about thinking about meaning and instead just sort of like start making movements towards some way of contributing. Like mm. what do you do? No, let's okay. Forget about meaning for now. Uh, meaning's this weird thing anyways, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't trick yourself into thinking life is meaningful. I can't trick you into thinking life is meaningful. Uh, but you know, what, how, how do you engage with the world in a positive way? Like what kind of differences do you make? Mm. Um, what, what can you do to, to, help someone else out. Like you've got a lot of experience now thinking about life being meaningless. So what would you say to someone else who's struggling or can you think of opportunities to, to give? And, uh, you know, so, so that ends up being pretty challenging depending on the context and what kind of coaching you're, you're doing with folks. So then the next, the, you know, the least intrusive approach. So I think both of those take a pretty good relationship with someone to, to dive into. Oh Yeah. Um, but this one doesn't, I don't think this one takes very much a relationship at all other than remembering that you asked someone to do this task. Uh, so, so I came up with this, this, this idea of an intervention looking around, I think I was moving into a new office and I was like, you know, dragging a lot of stuff from my old office. And I was like, why do I even have some of this stuff? I haven't looked at it in years. As I'm a a pretty sentimental person, I, I decided I wanted to, to really scrutinize why I was bringing all these pictures and like these little, little trinkets from from the past into this new office. And it's like, does this do anything for me? I know that I wouldn't like to have a anonymous office. So what is it that, that I'm doing with all this stuff around me that I'm bringing that supposedly reminds me of these other amazing things. And so I, I wanted to run a study that would, would get at that. So at the time they, I bought the cheapest digital cameras I could find, which were actually powered by two AA batteries. If you can remember <laughs> the time when that was even a thing. Uh, so this is pre good camera phones. And we, we got some people into the lab and, and I asked them to go just take pictures of what makes your life feel meaningful. And the cameras were so old that they could only hold eight to 12 photos. And that turned out to be a really good number. So what folks mm-hmm. would do is they go, they go off, they had to take a week. So they'd be scheduled one week after this. This fits a lot of coaching schedules or, you know, you can do this uh, over the web too, of course, in the web meeting. They go off, take a, take a set of photos, try to keep it, no more than 10 or 12. You don't want like 160 photos. Someone gave us a memory card actually that had 380 photos on it. We're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, so <laughs> you, you keep it, ha, make sure that people are, are, you know, whenever they start the, the, this, we call it a photo. I call it a photo safari now, but whenever they start it, make sure they take the last photo on the day right before they come in. So they have time to think about it. Right. So don't just go out and within the first five minutes, you took 10 photos of your, of your dog or, you know, your, your car, whatever it is, like take some time, come back, tell me about each one of these and why it's meaningful to you. So that was the study I ran. And over that one week, it's pilot data. So this isn't super robust data. It's more suggestive. We've, we've incorporated into other workshops that I've done over the years and people give positive feedback, but you can't say this is like a, you know, like a, a hardcore random controlled trial. This is just a pilot data. But folks found that meaning in life went up, depression went down, life satisfaction went up, went up, positive emotions went up, and negative emotions went down just over that one week from when they took the survey before we gave them the camera and when we took it back from them. Just by tuning in. 
just by tuning and taking photos of what's meaningful in their lives. Hmm. And that was across the spectrum wow. of people who scored high and low on meaning, right? So uh, I'll talk a little bit why, about why I think that this is a good intervention so that, you know, that your listeners can really work with it, um, break it apart, figure out where the moving pieces are and, and make it better. Uh, we all, and then we, we gave them just, uh, you know, other measurements right before we downloaded their, their photos. And then we actually put these in PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> I do everything with PowerPoint, I guess. So we could paste their photo on top and then they'd have room to type their responses about what these, each one was like. I think it works better as a conversation, but you know, if you're doing it remotely and you know, only have a little bit of time with your client, uh, you might want to have them do this ahead of time. But just the act then of describing those photos with no social interaction even also increased state levels of meaning. So like how, how meaningful does life feel right now? Well, it feels more meaningful now that I've described these, these important sources of meaning in my life. So this is really easy to do. And it's actually a way that we think through the world. It's hard to describe in words a lot of the stuff that's important, vital, meaningful, crucial about life. But we can certainly recognize it when we see it. And mm -hmm. even someone who feels like life is meaningless has things that are more or less special to her or him. So that's all we're asking. Like, relatively speaking, there are going to be things that are more meaningful in your life than others. Just take a photo of those. Bring it back in. We'll have a quick conversation. No stress. There's no right or wrong answer to this, obviously. And I think it's doing a couple of things. One, like you said, you're, they're noticing and being reminded of these things in their lives. Right? They're going out then into the world and they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the world with these with open eyes and right. as crummy as things feel, like, look at this stuff. This is not so bad, right? Huh. Um, we've got beautiful mountains to look at now, don't we, Brad, out here in Colorado? <laughs> because Gorgeous. of that huge, that huge uh, dump we had. Another thing they're doing then is what I think was happening with, with the office is that I've, I've like endowed this thing with meaning now you know, this like rock from Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, whatever it is, or what, you know, this, this picture of, you know, my kids feet at the beach, you know, their, their toes in the sand, like that's a meaningful thing for me. Now I've said it, I took a photo of it. I brought it to another person. I said, this is a meaningful thing for me. So when I go see that thing again, that's not going to be lost on me that I, that I went out of my way to say, you know what, this is one of the this 10 matters. or 12. Yeah, this matters. Yeah. So I think those are the moving pieces. And of course it gets a conversation going in a non-pressure situation. Um, the, the first thing I learned when I started researching meaning is if you go up to people and say, hey, what makes your life feel meaningful? <laughs> is that it doesn't make them happy <laughs> at all. Yeah, I thought it would. That's how weird of a person I am. I thought people would love those conversations. Uh, it, it's not true. So having a focal point also really helps. And it's going to be a personal story. Like we have pictures of, peop of people's shoes, uh, logs, parking lots, cars, tractors, garbage cans, uh, computer textbooks. I mean, weird stuff. You would never suspect what the story is until you get people talking and then you're just blown away by every person's ability to, to crack open that nut and, and see what is really important inside. Hmm. That's good. All right, uh, let's flip the mirror. How hmm. are you applying your research in your own life on, on a personal level? And, and you've talked about a couple of, of ways you're integrating some of this, but does anything come to mind that you're currently in the midst of and you've consciously said, oh, wait, 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 I need to apply this thing over here? Yeah. You know, so a lot of the things that made a difference in my life have, have a common theme. Uh, you know, and as, as sort of like a backstory, 
I'm happy I study meaning because even though that, that gets lumped in with positive psychology and happiness and, and most people who know me or even get to know me are like, why are you, why would I think I could learn anything about happiness from you? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I'm not like a naturally happy person. I don't actually think about happiness very much. Um, I do think about what everything's all about. And so you can imagine kind of a, I can be a little bit of an aggravating person out during bar talk. Just eventually I end up talking about like, Hey, we're going to die someday. What do you think about that? Right. So, uh, you know, so I've, I've, I've got a, a slightly unnatural take on a lot of this stuff. That's, that is really, I kind of always have in my head, like the, the bitter and the sweet about life. And I tend more towards the bitter. Like I, I reflect on, uh, the worst things I've done to people. I reflect on the the fact that everything I love is impermanent. Um, I reflect on the fact that as as hard as I might try in my in my career, in my life to make a difference in a hundred years, it'll be like I never existed, right? So I have all those things in my mind, and and I think it's important to to be able to manage those because the the anxiety about those sorts of things holds us back from from living. We we end up dabbling in life if we can't embrace the fact that we're vulnerable to disappointment and, and suffering. But you can imagine that makes for kind of a miserable person after, after a while, especially when that person tends to be pretty neurotic anyways, uh, and a little bit quick to be angry and not so patient. So it was, you, can't, you can't say I was a, any sort of example of being a, a happy person living a good life. I was mostly an angry person, uh, feeling pretty bitter and overwhelmed by the problems in life. And, and for me, the practice that I I intentionally developed and have to keep reminding myself of is, is ends up really being a lot about savoring. And so savoring is, and we talk a lot about mindfulness and, and non-judgmental awareness. Saving for me is really, it's really like that wake up and smell the roses sort of thing to be trite about it. It is the fact that yes, suffering is immense in the world. Yes. We're all still mindlessly contributing to our own ruination Yes, there's injustice. Yes, I do terrible things from time to time without meaning to or without being able to prevent myself to. But on top of all that, there still is really amazing things in the world. There's still beauty. And so I make sure I look at, I look at something and just actually look at it and spend time appreciating something good and as many good things as I can every day. And that core skill took a long time for me to figure out. Hmm. Um, how to do some people are great at it. I love people who are just great at it. Just naturally. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. The, you know, look at that icicle. I'm like, you mean the icicle that's making my sidewalk slippery and I have to worry about the homeowners association (laughs) sending me a nasty letter. Right. So (laughs) that's me. And so I love people who can come at it with like seeing what there is to appreciate right away. Never take that skill for granted. I would say. So for me, it's, it's been important to, to appreciate that. And what that's done for me, I think, and how that's expanded into other practices is to take stock of what's happening right now. Um, I've got a lot of bad habits, a lot of bad tendencies that would make me drift off even further than I, I typically do into you know, laziness or self-indulgence or resentment or impatience. Um, and, and for me, those innate tendencies do not seem to be going away. So it's, it's really about managing those weaknesses that are, that are part of the, my very being, it seems like. So I, I can use savoring and mindfulness to, to try to take a check on myself before some of that stuff spins away. So the big things I'm working on these days, um, how to be 
responsible for my choices. So I'm not allowing myself to feel resentful that I have to do stuff because I'm saying yes to these things, right? Uh, Really, really holding on to as much as I can uh, the experience of being with, with my kids. They're, they're in five years, both kids are going to be at college or out of the house. So I'm running out of time to be that, that close to them. At the same time, of course, they're running away from home to be able to do independent growing up things. So um, I, don't want, I don't want any of that time spoiled by my silliness or my pettiness. So for me, I'm, I'm, in both of those cases, you can imagine how like something like savoring or mindfulness can, can help me figure out, am I living the way I want to be living right now? Am I saying yes to the things I think are important? Am I saying no to the things that, while maybe important, will take away from other things? Um, am I stopping myself from indulging in being aggravated or grouchy or snippy or sarcastic? And you know, I think that's I think that's really what I what I want to be doing. For me, I'm just trying to figure out: Am I making enough progress towards being better? And and am I avoiding the trap of tricking myself into thinking I'm doing just fine when that's just pure rationalization? It's a lot of self-reflection for me is what, what makes a difference. And then also really accepting the, the flaws that I have and, and, and not excusing them, but figure out how to accommodate them. Uh, so, so dates and times are really a struggle for me. I almost never know what day of the week it is. I know what day of the week it is. It's highly unlikely I know what the date is. I often don't know what the year is. I've never, well, not never, rarely known when it's my own birthday, for instance. Right? <laughs> so this, this makes a lot of things tricky, like getting to the airport. I'm super nervous about airport. I'm there like hours early. You know what I mean? So I have to accommodate these things. I take responsibility for where my weaknesses might affect uh, my plans to be better, my plans to live a purposeful life. And in particular, my my might affect other people. I'm not always successful. <laughs> As you know, Brad, Brad's been too kind to say it, but I was like 10 minutes late for our call today. Again, <laughs> like just mystified by the fact that I can't like teleport across town. So, uh, you know, so I apologize for that. I'd really try to minimize that sort of stuff. And I, and I never try to overlook it or excuse it. So that's just kind of, for me, the, those are the projects and those are the ways I try to approach it. Yeah. I, I love what you said about being better. And I didn't cue you on that at all. That's something that we say over and over and over in this podcast of it's not the best self. That's intimidating at times. That's, mm. that's like, oh my gosh, that could never be me. But the better self, that's one step away. That's one choice. Yeah. That's one decision. That's one whatever. So I, I, that's a great spot to kind of wrap things up with that focus on what you're saying for your own life, but also by extension to ours of, of being better. That's a great place to start. So Dr. Steger, thank you. Great stuff today. Thanks for taking the time. You got a lot going on and, and we really appreciate you joining us. I really appreciate you letting me be here and, and having such great questions and being so yeah, really, really uh, gentle with my, with my answers. I appreciate your, your responsiveness and I hope that folks get something out of it. And, and if not, just send me an angry email. I'll try to do better next time. <laughs> Another big thank you to Dr. Michael Steger for joining us today. He and I have been working on getting this on the calendar for probably close to a year. He's just got a crazy schedule, and I really appreciate how generous he was with his time today. I hope, hope you enjoyed it. If you want to follow him, check into his 
his studies he's been involved with. Reach out to him for anything. You can either Google him, Michael Steger, Colorado State University, or his email is michael.f, as in Frank, dot Steger, S-T-E-G-E-R, at colostate.edu. So feel free to do that. I, I think he'd, he'd love to hear from you about some of the things we talked about today. If you're looking for some additional resources, we've got quite a few on the, the website, catalystcoachinginstitute.com, that I don't know if I've ever mentioned. If, if I have, it's been months. We have a book list. We're getting asked all the time, what are some books I should be reading? What are the resources that I, I should be looking into? And so we put together a list. You can see that on the website. If you're curious about some specific things around your career and how to integrate this with what you're doing as a clinician or a coach or whatever it might be, we've put together a number of special reports. You can also pull those up at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. And then if you're on Twitter and you like following folks there, you can find me at Catalyst the number two, Thrive, at Catalyst to Thrive, with the two being a, the number two. What I do there is generally, I'll, occasionally I'll post something, but most of the time I'm retweeting or highlighting things that people have tweeted out, research studies, uh, new findings, things that influence our health and wellness, things that can help us be better on a daily basis. So with that, let's go get better. Dr. Steger mentioned it. We highlighted it. You know it. It's one step away. And we can do that starting today. This is Dr. Bradford Cooper signing off. Make it a great rest of your day. And I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. <music>